You're listening to BiblioAsia Plus, a podcast produced by the National Library of Singapore. At BiblioAsia, we tell stories about Singapore's past, some unfamiliar, others forgotten, all fascinating. Vile, disgusting, nauseating. A particular food from Southeast Asia has been called all these things, and worse. They aren't referring to the durian, though. Instead, these terms have been levelled at something else altogether, a beloved condiment widely used in Southeast Asian cooking. My name is Jimmy Yap, and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of BiblioAsia, a publication of the National Library of Singapore. Today, we're talking about the umami bomb known around these parts as blachan. Made from fermented shrimp, blachan is a must-have ingredient in many Malay, Peranakan, and Eurasian dishes. It's also used in Thai, Vietnamese, Lao, and Khmer cooking. Despite the fact that blachan is a common ingredient in this region, and has been for centuries, making it, trading it, or even just storing it has not been straightforward. This is mainly because the smell produced during the process of making blachan is perhaps best described as memorable. Today, our guest Tofa Abdul Wahid will tell us more about the history of blachan, how it's made, why it's popular, and how Singapore in particular has dealt with the olfactory byproducts of blachan making since the 19th century. Tofa is a librarian with the National Library, and she works with the Singapore and Southeast Asia collection. She has a deep interest in food history, and at university, she wrote her dissertation on Blachan. Hi, Tova. Welcome to Bibliotheca Plus. Tell us, what exactly is Blachan? So, the short and simple answer is fermented shrimp paste. Okay. Um, but Blachan does have other permutations. All right. Well, yeah, like so, Blachan comes in various compositions, and it has different names in different parts of Southeast Asia. Okay, so apart from shrimp, what else could it be made of? So it can be made from fish, wholly from fish, small fish. Um, it can be made from um, a mixture of shrimp and fish. Um, and also you have different types of fish that you could use to make uh, balachan. And and it's also a particular, it's not all kinds of shrimp, right? It's, it's, it's a particular kind of shrimp that you use. Yes, yeah, so the balachan we find today in like supermarkets and wet markets in Singapore, um, are usually made from udang garagao, mm. um, which is of the um, genus Esotis. Wow. Um, I hope okay. I'm pronouncing that, that wow, right. I see so, your, your, yeah. your, your, you speak Latin as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So udang garagao goes by um, different names like udang pepai. Um, and um, it's a really, really small type of shrimp. Okay, let me ask you. The, the, the udang garagao, is that the same udang that we can see in the chinchalo? Yes, exactly. In the chinchalo bottle? Yes. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. So in, in chinchalo, the, the prawn or the shrimp are whole, right? You can yes, see yes. the tiny... You yes. can still... Um, tiny, delicious yes. shrimp. You can see the eyes, the beady black eyes, uh, yes, you know? Yes, that's not good. Then. Yeah. But in Balachan, it's been pounded down. Okay. Um, and you can't make up the, the, the pieces of shrimp anymore. And what is the process of making blachan? 
the important processes in making belacan is uh, salting, drying, pounding, and throughout that 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 whole process, you know, the belacan is being fermented. It goes through several rounds of pounding and drying. So sometimes belacan can take up to two months or more to oh, make. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, a mature product. Um, but if you make it on your own at home, um, it can take a few days. Is belacan very common in Southeast Asian cuisine? Belacan is a common flavoring agent. Ah, okay. okay. So in Southeast Asian cuisine, I mean, in Thailand, you wouldn't use the term belacan. You of would course. use the term kapi. Kapi. Um, in Indonesia, you would use terasi. Although some parts do use the word belacan. Okay. Um, then you have in Myanmar, uh, ngapi, siensa, which is referring to shrimp paste specifically. Okay, okay. Yeah, like I said, you know, ngapi is a all-encompassing term that refers to different types of fermented fish products. So, in Southeast Asian cuisine, it's usually used as a flavoring agent um, to flavor curries, stews. Um, but in Singapore's context, you know, you have different kinds of sambal. Right. Yes. So, you have your sambal belacan, um, which is simply made from um, toasted and pounded belacan that's mixed with chilies, um, some kind of acid like lime juice, salt and sugar. So Samba Balachan has also its counterparts in other parts of Southeast Asia, like the Namprit Kapi, which is a Thai version. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Why is Balachan or fermented shrimp paste why is it used as a flavoring agent? What is you know what what is special about it that you know so make that makes it so popular? I think it gives a umami kind taste to your dishes. Um, umami is a Japanese term that is loosely translated as a savoriness or a meaty like taste. So it makes um, it imparts a certain deliciousness to your dish. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, balachan is rich in like glutamates and nucleotides. And another type of glutamate is actually your MSG. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, how today sure, people so, so use... people use MSG yeah. to make, make like soups all that feel yeah. richer. So yes, to give a diff- uh, added layer to right. your soups and your curries. Right, right, right. And and but um, blachan, I, 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 what other foods are other foods that are rich in umami are like tomatoes, tomatoes, cheese, right, anchovies, right. fish sauce, right, uh, your soy sauce, right, right. Also, yeah. all, no wonder I like dipping my food. Anything I like, anything I eat in soy sauce, it just makes it taste better. Yeah. Yeah, right. it makes like plain rice taste better. Right, and I I guess if you're if you're if you're not very rich, and you can't afford to get a lot of food, um, and you're eating largely plain rice, you know anything you can do to make your plain rice taste a little better is a good thing. Yeah, so in the past or even till today, you know, like balachan is an important food item, mm-hmm. um, in the kitchens of um, people of lower classes, because um, sometimes you know. You just want to make your rice palatable. So a lot of them would eat, you know, um, vegetables or just simply fried fish with rice and balachan. Okay. That makes for a delicious meal. Okay, okay. 
Um, and and so some of the local dishes that you know that that use blachan, we've talked about sambal blachan, but I think you also cook it, as you say, in in curries. A- anything else? Um, in so Singapore, in, yeah, in Singapore. yeah, you you can find it. I mean, it's a integral, essential ingredient in Nyonya Laksa. Oh, okay. Oh, no wonder I like that. Yeah. And I mean, if you eat your Hokkien Mee, your Chakwe Tiao, the sambal that comes with it has balachan in it. You also have Asam Padas, which is a popular Malay dish. Mm. Um, Another of, one of my favourites. I seem to be liking yeah. all these foods that have balachan in it. Yeah, you know, some people don't know that these foods have belachan in it, so... Right, right, yeah. right. Because it, it's not it's not stated, right? I mean, sambal belachan, you know, but, you yeah. know, asam pedas, uh, uh, you know, ikan asam pedas is, is, does, does not announce that it has belachan. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sometimes okay. your satay sauce, some people would like, some people like to add a bit of belachan. Really? To give that added richness, you know, mm, 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 uh, umami taste to their satay sauce. Okay, so this is yeah. what I need to do when I cook then. I need to start using blachan more. Yeah, so you can put blachan in anything you want, okay. actually, you know, because <laughs> okay. it's a flavouring agent. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I've never cooked with blachan, I have to confess, but um, now that um, now that I uh, now that I've heard all this, I will be trying Okay. and I will warn my neighbours about it. Yes. Okay, so uh, you know, it's very common in, in regional cuisine, but people who encounter it for the first time typically don't have a particularly positive reaction. And in your Biblioteca article on Blachan, you, you talk about, you, you mentioned quite, quite well-known names like Hugh Clifford, I think, and John Crawford, yeah. who do not have very positive things to say about Blachan. You know, why is that? Most of it are like um, travelogues written by, you know, colonial administrators who travel across the Malay Peninsula, for instance. So they, they traveled by the waterways, the riverine areas. Um, they visited villages on along the coast, along the riverbanks. And in Myanmar, they would visit um, villages along the Irrawaddy River. Um, so these are the places where one would encounter the production of Belachan or Ngapi. And the smell was so strong um, that, you know, some of them would, have writ- would write that I could smell it from afar. Before I see the village, I smell the village first. And I think because Belachan is a curiosity for them. Yeah. And they're also writing to audiences back home who may not know what Belachan is. So it's also, you know, an account of things they encounter. That's unusual. Isn't it true that Munshi Abdullah also described Blachan as makanan yang buso? Yes, he did. Yeah. So he was on his trip to Tronganu and he encountered and he wrote that, oh, this market has a lot of makanan yang buso buso, um, which means unwholesome, smelly foods. Um, and like, you know, petai, your mm. sting bean. Uh, you have various types of sambal belacan, he said, uh, he wrote. And then you also have um, pickled fish in various forms um, and pickled shellfish as well. Um, and he juxtaposed that against, you know, makanan yang uh, mulia, which wholesome. means wholesome or good foods like egg, milk, ghee and butter. So it's it's pretty... 
it's really interesting because, you know, you wouldn't really use butter in a lot of cuisines mm. at that time. Mm. Um, ghee, maybe. Ghee, maybe. Yeah. And milk. Uh, although, to be, to, to, to be fair, I think even in a Brita Haryan article in the 1980s, they talk about, you know, they, they, they talk about, you know, when you make blachan, you know, there's a period where, you know, this is, the, this is like the, the period where it, it, really, it really starts to smell. So it's not, you know, even, even people who are used to the smell of blachan acknowledge that this is a quiet taste or smell. Yeah, I think like, you know, you have that blachan that's fermenting, right? Because you will, you know, give off certain smells. Fermentation like, is decay, right? Yeah. Fermentation, you know, it's it's same same with like decomposition or right. rotting. Right. But fermentation is a process where you allow something to decay to add a positive or like a favorable taste to something. Yeah. I think a lot of the accounts, um, like the Western accounts, some of them they would, you know, describe not only the smell of Balachan, but they also impart a certain judgment on the peoples that produced or ate balachan. Because so I, it smelled bad, so therefore these people are... You know, yeah, morally inferior. Some of them would kind of imply that as well. Yeah. Currently, you know, which, are, which Southeast Asian countries are the top producers of balachan? In Singapore, where do we get most of our balachan from, for example? So I think most of our balachan, if you, I mean, if you go to the wet markets or even to like the supermarkets, a lot of it comes from Penang and Malacca. Oh. Yes. Um, those are considered the good ones. Okay. Yeah, good why? Because? I think it's, you know, it's over the years. Um, oh, okay, okay. People have just... People like, have like, oh, you know, have tasted and then by word of mouth or even newspaper articles right, um, right, right. In, in the 20th century would say, you know, oh, Malacca Blachan is really good, or yeah. Penang. And there were also reports in um, the late 1800s in mm. newspapers mm. where the reporter would announce um, that, oh, Malacca has just received a wonderful catch of Udang Garagao. So you can expect some good Balachan to oh, come. okay, okay. Yeah. Actually, now that you mention it, I remember like, going to Malacca and, and with my brother and they're like hunting down blachan of particular colour. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right? So blachan has many colours, comes in many colours. So you have a range from like the pale purplish mm. colour. There's pink also, right? There's pink. There's dark colour like almost dark brown. Right, right, right. Or, or a deep purple. Yeah, so the colours depend on the composition of the blachan, the ratio of the salt to the to the raw fish ingredient, right. or even just the ingredients themselves, whether it's like wholly made from udang garagao, yeah. or it's Which a mixture. Which is presumably pink, right? Because the chinchalo is pink. Or is yes, like it's like color? a pinkish grey. Those oh. are made, yeah, from, okay. from udang garagao. What about the history of, of blachan making in Singapore? I mean, that's something that you've researched and you talk about in your BiblioAsia article as well, right? So Singapore actually, it obviously doesn't anymore, but uh, it used to make blachan. Or, or there were people in Singapore who used to make blachan. Yes, I think, I mean, there will always be people at, in the past who would make blachan because they live by the coast. 
Uh, they live by rivers, estuaries, where there's an abundance of udang garagao. And, you know, because of um, the lack of refrigeration in the past, people had to ferment or preserve their foods. Um, so it, it's something I would say came naturally to people as long as they had access to salt and the raw material. The industry in Singapore wasn't as, you know, popular as, you know, the Malacca or Penang Balachan production industry. Um, of course, in other parts of British Malaya, from Terengganu uh, to Pahang to Johor even, they also produced their own versions of Balachan. Yeah. But in Singapore, you would... Singapore was actually more known f- as a distributing distribution centre uh, or an entrepot for Belachan in this region. But even though Singapore wasn't or made known for its own Belachan, for example, there were laws regarding uh, Belachan. Uh, is it manufacturing or, or storage in Singapore? Yeah, for drying, salting and storing Belachan. Right, there yeah. were specific laws that, uh, that were aimed at Belachan. Yes. So, so what would what were these laws? When did they date to? So, under the Conservancy Act um, in Singapore, and also in um, back then in the Street Settlements. This was like the 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 mid eight a bit mid nineteenth century, right? Yes, Belachan was considered an offensive and dangerous trade. So, other trades that were considered offensive or dangerous, basically, they were nuisance to the public. Right. Um, were things that emitted a lot of smells uh, or noise. So you had sago manufacture, you had boiling offal, you had kilns. Yeah, so those were considered offensive and dangerous traits. And Balachan was considered one of them. Um, I would assume from the smell that would have emanated from the Belachan stores and factories. Within the municipality, you would need a license to operate. Yeah, so you would register for an annual license. Um, Without a license, you'd be fined. Yeah, so there were people who tried to, you know, not apply for licenses. Save some money. Yeah, and they they were found, like, newspaper reports saying that many bags of Belachan being stored in a shop house in Cecil Street and the trader was fine, $50. Uh, I think in your article, you also mentioned that there were like factories along the Kalang River or something. Yes. So those were the licensed factories. Right. This was like 19th or 20th century. This was in the early 20th century All right, to okay. the mid-20th century, where you find records in the National Archives of Singapore, mm. uh, where you find maps that of the Kalang Basin area that had, um, you know, uh, in that whole area you had timber yards, a lot of other offensive and dangerous trades. Sago factories, soap making, um, tanneries, you know. So those were all the different trades that would, you know, congregate in this area because it was allocated. Ah, I see, I see. um, In a way for industry. Yeah, and... From the maps, I could find um, three Belachan factories um, around the Kalang Basin area. And two of them were actually shown um, what I could see to be... Parts of it was over water. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. So the maps are like an aerial kind of drawing, but you could see that parts of it was in the river itself. Ah, okay, okay. So I assume that they were on stilts and um, the fishermen would have come to these factories um, with their load of um, udang garagao. Um, and on these factories, they would then process and manufacture belachan. And there was also um, a wooden platform that was attached to these factories, which I assume would have been used for drying and laying out blachan. We, we don't make a lot of blachan now, or if any, presumably, but, but uh, there have been some records, uh, newspaper records of blachan making uh, up, up till the 1980s or something, right? Yes. So, in the 1950s, there was a blachan industry in Tampines. Oh, an um, industry. Yeah, in, okay, in the... Okay. It was a very small cottage industry of like, from the reports they said uh, it wrote um, like five households. Right, right. Yeah, it wasn't like a factory industrial scale. It was a cottage factory of families making balachan. Um, this was to like earn money. the 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 nineteen fifties nineteen fifties yeah right but as late as the nineteen eighties as well right people yeah in the nineteen eighties as well around the area of Tampines. But of course, you had people making balachan along the coast of Siglap, um, Salita, perhaps, you know, any of the Anywhere where you can get the, where, where people were living and you could get the, the udang, udang Ragao. Yeah. Right. There is a report in the Brita Harian um, from the 1980s about this lady who would go out to the sea um, near Tampanis, where she would bring her pushnet she would go in the water and the water has to be quite high, you know, until like almost your waist area or even until your chest. All right. And you would use the pushnet and drag it along the seabed. Oh. So a pushnet is a contraption that's comprising two wooden poles, pretty long poles, and there's a net in between. Um, and, and so the, did this lady sit on a boat to, to pull the net behind her or is she in the water? She's in the water. She's oh, standing wow. and walking in right. the water. Oh, so see, they are, the longer um, Balachan fishing poles, you would need to use them on the boat. But if it's a shorter version, you can use it standing in the water. So have you, have you, you know, you've obviously studied Balachan. Have you ever been tempted to make Balachan yourself? I did. I did think about I have thought about making balachan. Okay, where, where would you find ikan gragao in the first place? Oh, the udang gragao. Uh, sorry, the udang gragao. Um, it's a seasonal product. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so you need to find it at the right time. Ah, okay. And it's quite hard to find. I mean, I'm maybe I'm not looking hard, like, hard enough, but at least at the wet market near my house. It's either I miss it because it's so, like, r- not rare, la, but... It's it's something that is not in large amounts, I guess. So right, it gets right. sold out pretty fast. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. But you've never been tempted. You've 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 thought about it, but you've never said tomorrow I will make blackjack. No, <laughs> I think I'm I'm mainly concerned about you know the smell that would come out, and also I'm not sure how to sun it outside my house <laughs> without my neighbors like complaining complaining. Yeah, and also like I don't want like the flies to come. Oh yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. flies, right? So that's yeah. that's yeah, so you the need to have well. to kind of 
keep a close watch in case you know flies come and like right. so do you, do you think that this will be something like hipsters will do you know like you know how hipsters you know make their own coffee and they, they roast it properly <laughs> and so do you think that someday there will be hipster like hipster an blachan? artisanal belachan exactly, producer artisanal belachan, right? I mean now you have uh, like you know people reviving making tempeh which is also a fermented product because yeah. um, there's an art and science to it right sure sure um but I don't know. Maybe because belacan, okay lah. So tempeh is also very cheap in the supermarket. But mm, mm. maybe soybeans are easier to find, right? Easier yes. to handle. Yes. Uh, not so much smell. Yes. So it's yes. not so intimidating. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, but you know, I th- I think if anyone can lead the charge towards artist artisanal belacan, uh, <laughs> uh, far, it will be you. Yeah. Maybe I make a small batch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it has to be, right? And they're like single single origin blachan. Yeah. Um, Udang Gragao from yeah, the Straits well, of Malacca. Exactly. Yeah. Or definitely not the Straits of Johor because, you know, you, they, 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 that don't look clean. Don't look <laughs> oh, clean. no. The, the Greeks and Romans had uh, something like blachan as well, right? Yeah, they had this thing called garum, yeah. which is a fermented fish paste. It was a paste, is it? It was a paste. Mm. Um, okay, it's it's very complicated. So if you find out, you want to find out more, you should read Sally Granger's book about um, Garum, the story okay. of Garum. Okay. But you know, the researchers have different perspective of what Garum is. Oh, okay. Um, its composition because and it's also it also had different names oh. um, in different eras of uh, history. Um, and different names could also come about with different compositions. So it's 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 hard to really pinpoint what garum was. Whether it's a fish sauce, is it a fish paste, oh, or is it okay. both? Oh, okay. Um, okay. you know, essentially, it's a fermented fish product. Yeah. So so this yeah. this idea of the fermented you know fish thing, note my incredible vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> um, is 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 not just a Southeast Asian thing. Is is what I'm saying. So you could also find it in the Mediterranean, for example. Yeah. So so there there were also you know people who thought that uh, would would garum and variations of like balachan or torasi ngapi was there a connection? Was there mm. like a a trade, um, a migration of cultures and food practices? But there's no evidence that actually shows the connection. So it could have developed totally differently in different parts of the world thank you very much I mean that was a very interesting tour into the into the uh, the history of, of, of Blachan actually I just want to ask you one more thing about Blachan you you mentioned something in your in your Asia article about some uh, not controversy there was a a, a, a scandal, scandal okay. a Blachan scandal okay, like I'm using the word scandal because that's how I look at it but yeah there was a controversy about um, Balachan in the 1970s. Okay. Um, came out in the newspapers, the Malay newspapers, the English ones as well, about rhodamine B, which is a substance used in the production of Balachan to give it a reddish hue. Right. Yeah. And the controversy is that it is found to be carcinogenic, meaning that it can cause cancer in the long run. So there were there were analysis taken, samples taken to study the the different uh, varieties of belacan found in Singapore, 
most of which came from Malacca and Penang. Um, and also, um, even the Malaysian authorities had to, you know, look into it. Uh, the health ministry was involved. In Singapore, there was, the Consumers Association was involved. So, so, so this was like, it, it sounds like, you know, they were trying to leverage on the fact that people really wanted the pink or red blachan. And so they yes. So there was a market for like pinkish, reddish blachan because apparently um, it's supposed to look more appealing than a black, dark coloured blachan. Yeah. So that's why people, the, the manufacturers would, would dip. dye it. Yeah. So the, the process of dyeing apparently is after you form your blachan, you dip it in a dye. Oh, to, I see. Give it that beautiful... Pink glow. Um, yeah, pink glow. Uh, the pink of health. Right. <laughs> yeah, but not really. But not really because it's carcinogenic. Yes. But at least it looks pretty. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, but they, they presumably they sorted it out. Yes, they did. They took um, samples and things like that. So, um, and it was a banned substance in... Malaysia. Right. Yeah, but right. people were still using it. Um, right. So a cheap carcinogenic dye. Okay, what are you working on now, you know, research-wise and, and, and cooking-wise? Uh, research-wise, I'm trying to... I mean, I'm still hopeful that I will have uh, opportunities to look into cookbooks um, like I did with um, Siti Radia Mohamad Saleh and her cookbooks from the 1950s and 60s. So I'm looking at cookbooks and cookbook writers as well. So that's still my interest. So mm, hopefully mm, I, mm. I'll write something about it in the future, about okay. other cookbook writers. Okay, all right. Yeah. And what about cooking-wise? Are you are you stretching us? I mean, you we, we know that you've already promised to start making artisanal blachan. No. What else are you planning to do? Well, cooking-wise, pretty mundane, I guess. Okay. Yeah, okay. No, are you are you trying like new new dishes? Are you trying to stretch yourself and? No, I I I try and experiment with the 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 recipes I find in the old cookbooks, ah, like right. the Jawi cookbooks we have in the National Library. Ah, okay, okay. National Library's collection. Yeah. So just to see, you know, whether there's there's been any like evolution to the recipes, um, from then till now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not the best cook, but it's really hey, fun to I'm like. Sure are, I'm sure you're brilliant. Like to dig up recipes from the past and just try them out and see what people ate in the past, yeah, or taste. Thank you for for talking to us uh, about Blachan. Uh, this at this part of the the podcast, we really you know just ask all our guests um, the same bunch of questions. So we're going to ask you these questions as well. Who is, in your opinion? the coolest person in Singapore history. Okay. I would love to like like meet and like talk to Siti Radia. Okay, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Makes sense. I mean, I wrote the article a, a bit about her biography. Um, it's based on like, you know, records and accounts. Mm. But it would be really nice to have a interview with her, you know. Yeah. But she's of course passed on. Has she uh, are her have you ever met like any of her children, her no, grandchildren? Not yet. <laughs> okay. Someday though. Someday, right? I'm sure someday. I'm sure uh, they will be listening to this podcast and they will, you know. I, so, come, I hope so. Hello, sure, hello there. Okay. <laughs> uh, shout out to the descendants of City Radia. Yes. Um, uh, Tofa would like a, a word or two with you because she'd like to know more about City Radia. 
which historical figure would you like to have dinner with who isn't Siti Radia? As you <laughs> mentioned. Or maybe it could be could be Siti Radia. Uh, okay, so my, my idea is like a like a dinner party with okay. like <laughs> with right. like a bunch of cookbook writers from the past. Okay. 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 I'm I'm not sure whether some of them are still around. I think some of them are. Um but you know um cookbook writers like Zarina Anwar mm. who wrote the MPH cookbook ah. um in the late nineteen seventies. Uh, a really, really important cookbook, I believe, in Singapore's cookbook history. Okay, why why is it yeah. important? Because um it included okay, so it had okay, it had really a lot of beautiful photos. Mm. It was a whole production um that came about from um the publisher and the author and also included f- photographs from Chua Subin who is a renowned photographer. Oh. oh. Yeah. It w- was uh, was this in English or in Malay? It's in English. Right. Yeah. And it had recipes from different cultures in Singapore. I mean, it's not a novel, it's not a new concept because, you know, in the past people had um, um, cookbooks about um, um, recipes from Singapore, from Malay cuisine, Chinese, Eurasian, Indian cuisine, but I feel like it was it's it's one of the cookbooks post independence that I would consider as important. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and of course, not only Zarina Anwar, mm. I would love to have um, Azar Aziz, um, who was a journalist with Rita Hayran for some point, and she wrote the women's column, and she wrote. Uh, a lot about food. Okay. Um, and an inter- interesting fact about her is that um, last year in August, uh, Google Doodles featured her. Oh. Yeah. She was so famous that Google yes. Doodles featured her. Yes. Why? Yeah. What, was the, what was the occasion that they featured because, her? Because um, she's an, she, she's an important figure to like um, the preservation of like Malay traditions ah. and culture. So she because, of, because of her cookbook? Oh, uh, no. Um, Re- as because far as I journalist. know, she didn't have a cookbook. I'm not sure. Oh, she's not. She's yeah. not. She's, she's, this is but not, she wrote not... about Malay culture. Oh, I see, I see, um, I see. From traditions related to cuisine, to clothes, to every aspect of Malay right. culture. Okay. Okay. Uh, what are you reading now? I'm reading a book called The Guest Cat. The Guest Cat. Yeah, it's a Japanese book that's been translated into English. Um, Who's the author? You can't remember. Takashi okay. Hiraide. If, wow. If I'm pronouncing it correctly. Yeah. Um, it's just about... It's literature. It's literature. Yeah, it's about a Tokyo couple who's just living a very routine life and then one day a cat comes into their lives and makes it makes their lives very interesting and things like that. It's just a story of like, you know, the impermanence and the transient nature of encounters and things like that. Yeah. Okay. I, it's I, quite I'm sad. Yeah. Because it reminded me of my cat. So. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do, you still, uh, uh, do you still have cats? I would love to have more cats in the future. More cats in the future. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, are you a fan of Murakami? Yes, I am. I haven't read all his books. What is your favorite Murakami? Um, The Wind Up Bird Chronicle. That's mine. That was the first Murakami book That's I read. Same. And it, it blew my mind. Same. Yeah. 
And I, I really have a soft spot for it. Right, I read right, right. other Murakamis, but I'm like, that book is such a long book. Yes, it, I, I, I cannot imagine that I actually... But I wanted to read every page. Yeah, it was, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love uh, the Wine Bird Chronicle. Complete the sentence. History is... Fun. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's a lot about, like, you know, digging through documents, records, and the more you find, the more interesting but complicated the narrative becomes. But I think that's what's fun about history. Biblio Asia is... Worth reading. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, but, you know, I'm a bit biased. Yeah, um, no, I mean, like, Biblio Asia is great because, you know, you have so many different stories about Singapore and the region um, that may not be picked up by, you know, mainstream media or topics that are not as common um, in other forms of media. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Tofa, for, for, for joining us today on Bibliation Plus. We're very pleased to, to have you um, today. Um, to learn more about uh, Blachan and the history of Blachan in, in Singapore, please check out Tofa's article uh, on the Bibliation website at biblioasia.nlb.gov.sg. Thank you, Tofa. Thanks. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast and the BiblioAsia newsletter. Thank you for joining me on BiblioAsia Plus.